got your Bibles, you might want to open to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll read from verse 20 to 28, and this will be the source of our scripture for unpacking today. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favour of him, and he said to her, and he yeah, said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. But Jesus answered, you, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them? It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you, must be, you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. During World War II, England needed to produce, uh, to produce, produce more coal to increase its production of coal. And Winston Churchill, he called together labour leaders to enlist their support. At the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade a parade in which he knew would be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war. First, he said, would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. Last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, and where were you during the critical days of our struggle? And from 10,000 throats would come the answer. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. He had a way with words, Winston Churchill. When we talk about serving in the church, it often feels like we have to have some sort of message about it so that we can make sure that the not-so-glamorous things of church can get done. <laughs> I've heard it before. Uh, pastor gets up, explains how we need servants to do the, the things that don't get seen. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. And for a while, we get a little bit convicted um, by guilt or compassion for the poor pastor who's trying to keep the church going. The dirty coal face things get done for a little while. And then we walk away happy? Well, maybe or maybe not. But the question I want to have lingering in your mind today as we walk out of church isn't what job should I do, but it is why should I serve? Why do I serve? And I'm not only just talking about serving in church, because as believers in Christ, surely that's not the only place that we serve, is it? Surely as Christian people, we serve one another in our homes. Our husbands serve our wives. Our wives serve our husbands. We serve our children on daily basis. You serve your guests that come into your house, I hope. 
You serve your family, your kids, whether they're adults or children, you still serve them. You serve your neighbours as you notice they've been struggling to get their bins out or they don't have a lawnmower and you serve them by just doing their lawn for them. You feed their cat when they go away or their pets. You take their mail in. You also serve at your workplace. You get paid at an employment job, but you serve in different ways. You serve your boss as you do the best you can for the job there. You serve your your fellow workers as you enable them to be the best that they can be. You serve the people that you work with when you ask them a question. uh, They ask you a question and you actually stop and take the time to listen and answer their question or show them how to do something. And then when they come back five minutes later, you show them how to do that something again. (laughs) And of course, we serve in the church, whether that be in an upfront ministry like we saw earlier, or whether that be running a team or being a team member or, or being the one to put the bins out. Thanks, Corinne. <laughs> he does that each week. I reckon one of the hardest jobs in the church is washing the communion glasses. It's so little. <laughs> we all serve in many ways. And actually, if you're, if you're keen to help on the, on the uh, communion roster, ask Keith. It's not that bad a job, is it, Keith, washing the little glasses out? Oh, they're disposable. Don't worry about it. <laughs> job done. <laughs> what is our motivation to serve? So this morning, I want to suggest that our motivation to serve, whether that be in the church or in your home or in your workplace, in the community, wherever it may be, our motivation must always be the same. And that motivation must stem from the gospel. See, our foundation for service must be built upon Christ's birth, life, death and resurrection for us. Because it's got to lie in the servanthood of Jesus Christ. You see, it is in Christ that we see the ultimate example of service, not for one or two people, not just for his disciples, but for all. Let me read Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. It'll be familiar to you. And maybe, maybe even shut your eyes if you're at home. Just shut your eyes. Just don't keep them shut at home. Shut your eyes um, and allow these words to wash over you. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love those verses. We've got to realize the depth of these verses. God, with with sort of became man, became flesh, emptied himself, become this man taking the form of a slave. God became a slave. Why? Why did he do that? So that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everyone and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that? For the glory of the Father. 
Do you get the significance of the gospel here? Jesus became man, taught us how we should live, served the ones who should rightly serve him, and died a humiliating death that we might have community with God. Jesus chose to serve in life, but also in death. I mean, what other king in the history of kings has ever left his throne to become a servant to the people who should be serving him? That's what Jesus did. The essence of Christian faith is not that we serve Christ, but he first served us. Now we get to Matthew chapter 20, and I like this. We have this funny conversation where the mother of the sons of Zebedee, they are uh, James and John, and she has this conversation with Jesus. We don't know a name. Some scholars believe it might be Salom, who is also named as one of the four women at the cross um, in Mark 15. Matthew doesn't see this as important information, uh, but the dialogue is quite important. So the mother makes a request of Jesus. Can her sons be allowed to sit at his side in the kingdom? One on his right, one on the left. Now the significance of this is whoever sits on the right and left in the earthly kingships are the highest places next to the king. It's the highest you can get without actually being king. They're the places of distinction. And I love Jesus' response because he doesn't discuss it with the mother. He goes straight to James and John as if they were the ones that were asking the questions. Perhaps it would have been this real awkward moment. Mum's just made this big ask of Jesus, and now it comes back to bite James and John. Jesus turns to the brothers and asks them a question. Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you really up for the challenge? You know, I'm going to go through something very soon. Are you up for that? Are you ready to pay the ultimate price? And both of them go, well, yeah, for sure. We can drink that cup. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I don't think they really had a clue, did they? But Jesus cuts them again. You're going to drink my cup. You're going to be part of this. You're going to go through the same trials, the same hardships. You're gonna, all this that comes with following me is going to be part of it. But as for the right and left, I can't give you that. So at this stage, the other ten get wind of this and, and sort of start to get a bit upset by it all. Indignant is the way the NIV Bible said, but, but another version of Scripture says angry about it. Perhaps they were upset because they felt they deserved those places as well. Perhaps they were upset because they hadn't had the guts to go and ask. Well, James and John didn't really either. Mummy did for it. But, but Jesus, sensing that things are a little bit tense, he sort of calls them in. Come in, come in guys. Let's take a knee, take a knee. Let's, uh, let's have a chat. <laughs> and he talks to them about the kingdom of God. You know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just the Son of Man did not come to be served, to be the king, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A different king. What's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is firstly acknowledging the rulers of earthy kingdoms. They lord it over those who are under their command. They know their rights and they exercise it. Jesus says this isn't the right way because there's a better way. See, in this short narrative, Jesus starts to spell out the gospel for his disciples. 
You'll be like me when you follow my lead. You'll serve like me because of what I'm about to do for you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, be, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In my death, I will be serving you. Now, if you have a, a faith in the Lord Jesus and claim him as your personal Lord, then you serve because Jesus has served you in his death. We need to be of the attitude that I must serve, but we serve out of sheer gratitude to Jesus. Serve others because he has served us. Service in the church, in the community, in any aspect of life is a direct response to the power of the gospel in our lives. Now, you may have picked up, there can be a danger with this message. If you mishear this message, you could end up sounding like, we have to serve as somewhat of a payback for what God's done through Jesus Christ. So we should get involved in the church. And the pastor told me I need to wash the little communion cups even though they're disposable. (laughs) We've got to pay back for that generous grace that he's shown us. But that's not what I'm saying. Has anyone seen Saving Private Ryan, the movie? A lot of people will have. In Saving Private Ryan, if you haven't seen it, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, sorry about this. Um, We see nearing the end of the movie there's a scene where Captain John Miller who's played by Tom Hanks, is sacrificing his life for Private Ryan. In Miller's final breath, all of us are hoping he's going to say something like, I did this for you, or this is your gift, so cherish it, or something like that, because it would make a really good parallel to the story that we're telling here with the gospel. But unfortunately, Captain Miller brings Private Ryan close and says this, earn this, earn this. What he's saying is, I gave everything for you. Now you go out and spend the rest of your life figuring out how you must earn this same moment. Live in a way that honours the fallen comrades that that you've served with and serve others. Earn it. And this is a gospel point, doesn't it? Unfortunately, it would have been so good if it just hit it. (laughs) By the end of the movie, um, uh, Private Ryan, it shows Private Ryan as an elderly man. And he stands amongst the graves of the men who had lost lives for him. And he's hoping that he's earned it in his lifetime. Private Ryan spent his whole life with the burden of trying to repay the sacrifice of the lives given to him and still not knowing whether he made it. The reality is, with the message of the cross, there's nothing to pay back. The price of sin has been fully paid on the cross. What we do does not contribute to our salvation. No matter how much we serve, it doesn't impact the kingdom for your favour. It doesn't mean that the right and the left is yours to take. I love the line that there's nothing you can do that, that can make him love you less. Nothing you can do that can make him love you less. You can't lose the love of God. Our service did not come from a sense of needing to strive for personal salvation or fulfilment in the kingdom. That is completed on the cross. God loves, full stop. It's not God loves you when you go on the morning tea roster or when you welcome at the door or when you 
come to be in the worship band. God loves you. Our response to that love is loving service. Our response to the gospel is gratitude that lives itself out in action. The gospel has to be our foundation for serving in the kingdom of God. It has to be. However, how often do we assess our reasons or our motive for serving others? How often do we come back to the gospel and remember that what we do is a response to what has been done? You see, serving has its foundations within Christ for sure, but we must also be made to serve through Christ, not through ourselves. Because there's a subtle difference. And I want to sort of go through three false motivations for serving. And they sound good. They're subtle. But as we do, I want you to assess and think about how you serve as well. The first sort of false motivation, I suppose, is that we're motivated to serve because we value compassion. Sounds good. Many people end up serving because, and helping because they're filled with the compassion. Whether that be because they've seen an advertisement on TV or they've had some experience where they couldn't imagine life the same if we didn't act in this way. And compassion compels us to act, and that's not bad. We can justify this because Jesus himself was, was compassionate towards others. He saw the needy, the oppressed, and in Matthew 9, 36, it tells us he was moved by compassion. Jesus himself shows compassion. But, the, but compassion is not linked to the gospel reason for service. If we only serve out of compassion and not serve out of a gospel reason, we've missed it. Our service because of the gospel may lead us to serving compassionately because we begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus. But if the gospel motivation is taken away, as soon as our compassion dries up for that one thing or that thing, so does our passion to serve. The second false motivation for, for serving. We may be motivated to serve because of guilt. Many, many people, especially in, in our Western culture, will have a sudden guilt experience over, because of an overindulged lifestyle that they may have lived. They've just watched the latest movie regarding global warming or how baby snow leopards are losing whiskers or whatever it might be. And, and it provokes guilt and says, I've got to fight for that cause. I've got to serve in this way. And our younger generations put a lot of banners up and fight, and it's great. However, much of this is because they feel a sense of guilt about the situation. They are moved to give up shoes because it has some trace of skin that they didn't know it had. Yet, there's another 10 pairs in the cupboard that have been made in a sweatshop somewhere. Because guilt serving goes sort of just to the, the heart of one little thing. The church often does this, unfortunately. hope you haven't heard this from our church. If you serve for an hour a week in this church, you're going to be feeling great about what you're doing for the kingdom. You want to fill the void? Come and serve at church. How much time have you taken out of your week to serve the Lord this week? 
I hope you don't hear that stuff coming from me. And if you do, come and tell me. Guilt-driven service has nothing to do with gospel service. In essence, guilt-driven service ultimately has to do with serving yourself. Because in the end, the reason you're serving is to elevate yourself out of guilt. And if I'm the problem with that, I'm sorry. Tell me. Because that's not the motivation we want people to serve in church for. The other part of this is that we cannot be forced to serve. Within an organisation, any parachurch organisation, a not-for-profit, whatever it may be, when we're manipulated to serve through guilt and guilt becomes our final thing to serve, it's just not serving in the right way. In this, the kingdom is not built up. The mission of God is missed because we're serving out of her wanting to sort of release ourselves from that guilt. It's not sustainable. So don't serve out of guilt. Serve out of a gospel motivation. The third thing is we may be motivated to serve out of pride. You know, prideful service is never private service. It always seeks to be seen, even if it's in a subtle way. Prideful service is always about the server, not about the one being served. It's about the one that makes it known through body language, through busyness, through the quick chatter to let people know that they've done something in some sort of false humility. Service based upon false compassion, guilt or pride as I've just been through goes against the service that is based purely on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't serve in those ways. The hard part about false service is that perhaps you're still doing good, but maybe your motive is just slightly wrong. Perhaps what you're doing is, is really good. It's helping the church, it's helping your neighbourhood, your workplace. But if it's done out of a wrong motive, then Jesus is clear in the Beatitudes that wrong motives actually drive, that drive our actions are actually not good. Anyone who even looks lustfully is committing adultery. The motives drive the action. Anyone uh, who, who is angry with your brother, you may as well be committing murder. It's the motive that drives the action. Jesus says that's not the way the, the gospel should be. So if our motives to, this, to serve are based on anything other than what Jesus has done for you, his life, his death and his resurrection, then we might be leading in a way that we're not called to be. So if there are false motivations, what does it actually look therefore to look like to serve in a gospel kind of way? Well, our answer lies in the service Jesus shared with his disciples. And I read it through communion, or I referred to it in communion. From John 13, verses 3 to 5, it says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. That's important to know. All things under his power. Jesus was all-powerful. So at this stage of the meal, he gets up. He takes off his outer clothing, wraps a tile around his waist, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I remember the first Easter that I was here at, at KSBC, uh, I, think, I was thinking maybe we could do a foot washing. <laughs> 
I know that um, I th- we might have had a chat about it, Jeanette. <laughs> I'm thinking it might be a bit uncomfortable for, <laughs> for people to come in and have their feet washed. <laughs> because feet are yucky. <laughs> feet are yucky, aren't they? They sweat, they smell, they get dirty. But imagine the feet of those disciples. They didn't wear shoes and socks and odour odor, odor getting rid of soles and stuff like that. They were walking around in dusty tracks, bare feet, thin sandals. These feet were dirty. If you want yucky feet, these were yucky. There was no act more demeaning than having to wipe a man's feet in the first century. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, all-powerful, took up a basin, filled it with water, grabbed a towel, and washed their feet. In some weird way, it'd be like Scott Morrison walking to your house, taking off his jacket and heading straight to your bathroom and cleaning your toilet. (laughs) You think, Mr. Prime Minister, you can't do that. But nothing can stop him cleaning the dirtiest part of your house. Well, maybe it's not the dirtiest part of your house. but Peter tries to stop Jesus. But Jesus says, no, Peter, I've got to do this. And Peter doesn't get it. So he says, well, don't don't stop my feet. Just go the whole lot. (laughs) And Jesus explains to him, I've given you an example that you should do, just as I have done to you. Then he says, A servant is not greater than his master, or, nor is a messenger greater than, one, than the one who sent him. Finally, Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You have seen me serve, even I. But now you've seen, Jesus says, Go and do Likewise. Go and do likewise. I asked the question at the start, why do we serve? The church needs servants. Our friends need servants. Our community needs people to serve them. Our families need us to serve one another. We're blessed when we serve one another. Kingdom is enhanced when we serve one another and our community. But why do we serve? Because... Jesus first served us. Go and do likewise. So as you leave today, get involved. Get involved. Seek opportunities to serve the people around you. Seek opportunities to be a part of the church where it's kingdom building stuff. It's great. But leave with the question, what's your motivation to serve. I'm going to invite the band up as I pray. Our Lord now God, you showed us through your Son. You had a great plan to come to earth as a human, vulnerable as a baby, to grow and to serve us. Lord, may our response to your good news for us be that we Take that mantle. We go and do likewise. We serve those around us, our community, our neighborhood, our neighbors, our church, our workplaces. And we be like you. That others will see you in and through us and ask the question, what's their motivation to serve? And Lord, may our response only be about the gospel. Help us, Lord. 
to be gospel servers. Amen.